0: Amen. Please be seated. If you have a Bible, you can open to John's Gospel. Look at verses uh, chapter sixteen, verses seven through fifteen, and the text is in the bulletin also. So this is the second sermon in a series of seven sermons on the Holy Spirit. We're looking at who He is and um, how He is at work in the world and in our hearts. Uh, the the general consensus. Uh, lately at least, has been that the Holy Spirit is the neglected person of the Trinity. He is the overlooked one. Right? He's the forgotten person of the Trinity. We, we seem fully capable of mentioning him only in passing and not really devoting much thought to who he is and how he works. So it seems appropriate that we would come to a deeper appreciation of him. As we do, as we learn more about him and, and know him, Relationally, more deeply, I think we discover that it's because He is who He is, because the Holy Spirit is who He is and, and He works the way that He works, the more we get to know Him, the more we actually come to know Jesus Christ more deeply. Um, not because the Spirit is identical to Christ, not because they're just interchangeable, so you get to know the one and you get to know the other, it's the same thing. Not because of that, but because... Getting to know the Spirit, the Spirit is the one who points us to Jesus. The Spirit always, it's who he is, he points us to Jesus Christ. So, the more we get to know him, uh, and the more we let him work in us, the more we get to know Jesus, the more we talk about Jesus. Last week, we talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. He gives us life, he gives us in particular life with God, uh, because he gives us Jesus Christ. He gave us the Son of God incarnate, right? the Son of God who was Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and so he gave us Jesus, the God-man, and uh, not just from the beginning of his, his life as a human being, but through all of his life. All of his life, all of his works uh, were done uh, by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is unique. Jesus is unique because of the Holy Spirit, and when we come to consider Jesus as unique, not just the objective reality of his uniqueness, but when we come to consider The fact that Jesus is unique, this is also because of the Holy Spirit, as it was read uh, in our New Testament reading. Uh, The only way you can proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord is if you're in the Spirit, if you have the Spirit. So uh, when we consider Jesus to be unique, this is from the Holy Spirit. He is the Christ-centered Holy Spirit. And when he comes to us and when he works in us, then we become Christ-centered, as well. And that's what his work in us looks like. Um, he makes us to remember Jesus. He makes us to focus on Jesus and think about him and contemplate Jesus. He makes us reevaluate everything in our lives with ultimate reference to Jesus. That's, that's what the Spirit does, that's what his work looks like. He makes us to reevaluate everything in our lives with ultimate reference to Jesus Christ. So if Jesus is important to you, if you're thinking about him, if you encounter him in a way that turns your life upside down, that's the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what he does. That's his work in your life. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning, uh, this encountering Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit, reevaluating everything in our life with ultimate reference to Jesus. So let me pray. Then we'll read the scripture. Father, we love you because you first loved us. You gave your son for us. You've given us the written word about your divine word, Jesus. You've given us the gospel. And we pray that you would also give us the spirit so that we could receive your word, so that we could see Jesus, so that we could meet him in your word so we can encounter you as we encounter Jesus. And we expect that this will be um, something that alters us at a very deep level. And so we pray for your Spirit's help with that process as we read your word and consider it this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away... The Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged." that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So, um, like I mentioned already, Ascension Thursday, this week, was one of the great um, Christian feast days. Um, It's it's one of those, um, boy, maybe there's five really big ones that historically, at least, the, the Protestants, the Reformers have kind of uh, advocate that we keep, you know, the, the idea of uh, Christmas and Good Friday and Easter and uh, Ascension and Pentecost. Those are kind of the big five in the church calendar that we have. Um, <clears throat> there are more feast days than that, but these are the great ones. And Ascension Thursday was this week, it was 40 days after the resurrection, after Jesus was raised from the dead. After he was crucified, he was buried, he was raised from the dead. He appeared to his disciples. There were at least 500 people that uh, Paul mentioned in um, 1 Corinthians 15. He appeared to them over the course of 40 days. He was teaching them. It says he taught them in the Holy Spirit. Um, and then he ascended bodily into heaven. That's hard for us to wrap our minds around. <laughs> what it means for a human being like us, yet not like us, because he's a glorified human, he 's got a resurrection body that will never die, and that body is in a place that we can 't get to it 's inaccessible to us it 's a different kind of place altogether and He ascended bodily into heaven. that was a painful time for his disciples. That was a confusing time. He was anticipating that would be very confusing throughout this this upper room discourse here, uh, kind of the last half of john 's gospel is taken up by his farewell discourse. It's what he's saying to his disciples as he's preparing to leave them through his death, resurrection, and ascension. He's going to be departing from them, and they're, they're lost, right? They're confused, and this is a painful time for them. And in a lot of ways, it continues to confuse us. Why would Jesus leave us? Why? Wouldn't it be easier for us as Christians if he were still here with us I mean don't you think it would have been better I, I think this is a common thought for a lot of Christians it would have been better to have been one of his disciples when he walked the earth 2,000 years ago it would have been easier to be a disciple It would have been easier to be a follower and easier to be faithful right when Jesus is right there in front of you wouldn't it have been easier to be a Christian then than it is to be a Christian now that he's away from us in heaven that's a common sentiment. It's a natural sentiment, I think. Um, I don't necessarily want to condemn that sentiment. But it does sort of show that we don't understand the significance of the ascension. And we don't understand the significance of the Holy Spirit. Both those things are what Jesus is talking about in our passage. Jesus himself stressed in our passage. He stressed, as he foretold his imminent departure that it's actually to our advantage, to our advantage that he would go away. Jesus said it's better for you. He, he's basically saying it's better for you to be a Christian now than it was to be with him, one of his disciples walking around with him during his earthly ministry. It's, it's to your advantage. Uh, contrary to our instinct, he insists that his ascension is for our good, so we should consider it gospel. The ascension is gospel. It is good news. We just need to figure out how. We need to figure out what that means. What is Jesus talking about? He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the, spirit, the, the helper, this is a way of talking about the spirit, the helper will not come to you. But if I, if I go, I will send him to you. <clears throat> so one could ask, Why? Why does it have to be this way? Why can't we have Jesus and the Spirit? Or why, why does He have to go away? And why does it matter that He sends the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? It seems pretty ethereal, and you know, it's not tangible like Jesus. I, why is this good? And why does it have to happen? It sounds like He's talking like it's some kind of necessity. <clears throat> Jesus is not saying, "Look, it's it's out of my hands." It's really part of the. The the really mysterious script, right, that just needs to play itself out, that is predetermined. I I go away, the spirit comes. That's just the way it's got to be, don't ask me a bunch of questions about it, right? That's not not the way that he's uh, saying this. If we just understand the significance of the ascension, if we understand the significance of it and the meaning of the ascended Jesus Christ sending his spirit to us, Then I think it'll start to make sense how it can actually be to our advantage. In the person of Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, in his person, God the Son, the eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity, who's been forever, he's always existed, eternally begotten of the Father, this person, God the Son, became a man at a point in history. Before that, he was not a man. Now he's a man, and he'll never stop being both God and man. Fully God, fully man, forever. Right? So in the person of Christ, God the Son became a man. Now as divine, which is easy for us to think about in a lot of ways, I, I think it's, it's maybe easier for us, maybe just in our circles, to think of Jesus as divine. And so all the things that belong to God belong to him. Right? As divine, he ruled the cosmos from the beginning. He ruled over all things, from the beginning, all the things that he had made, he ruled over them as the divine Son of God. It's, it's easier for us to think about Jesus as God, so yeah, the God stuff, that, that stuff that only God does, that, that kind of makes sense. Right? But now, because Jesus is the God-man, he's God the Son become incarnate, become enfleshed, become a human being also, because he is both God and man, now, The crucified and risen Lord rules the cosmos as a man. There's a man ruling over all things in God's own place. And that man is our representative. That man is our our champion, he's our vicar. We've got a guy on the throne of reality. In Jesus Christ, humanity is, is made new and fulfilled and shares that destiny for which we were created originally to, to share God's own rule over everything that he has made in Jesus Christ, our new humanity rules, shares God's own rule over everything he's made. So <clears throat> as if that weren't incredible enough, I mean, that's, that's the ascension of Jesus Christ, it's not just that God went back to heaven to rule things. It's that God, as a man, the God-man, our representative, went back to heaven to rule over all things. The king of glory, uh, the gates were opened for him, as it says in Psalm 24, and, and he went into heaven to rule over all things as a man. And as if, as if that weren't incredible enough, the really amazing thing, I think, for us to consider this morning, is that the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, has received the Holy Spirit without measure. That was said of him in his life. He received the Holy Spirit without measure, and as a man, he sends forth God's own spirit. As a man, he sends forth God's own spirit into the world. Not only does the God-man rule creation, the God-man determines where the Father's spirit goes. He gives instructions to the third person of the Trinity as a man and sends him forth for us. Our Savior, our champion, the true and glorified and ascended human commands the Holy Spirit of God and sends him to us. As a man, he does these things. So It is to our advantage that Jesus went away, that he ascended into heaven because of everything that that means. So what does it mean for people like us? What does it mean that Jesus, our Savior, sends the Spirit of God to people like us? He says, if I go, I'll send him to you. I will send him to you. What is Jesus sending the Holy Spirit to do? What's his activity going to be? What's Jesus talking about here? He says, when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay, so that might not sound like such great news, right? This is uh, this is courtroom language. Uh, so let me back up just a little bit. Jesus has, um, he's already in this passage actually called the Holy Spirit the helper, which is, it, it's kind of a rough word for us to encapsulate in one English word, the, the Greek word behind that word. Uh, so it's not necessarily a terrible translation, but you really got to think about this word. It's the word Paraclete, which has legal tones to it. Uh, it's often translated advocate or counselor, counselor like uh, the British people call counselors, right? The uh, it's your lawyer, it's your attorney. Um, Jesus Himself is called our advocate. He's called that same word applies to Jesus. In First John uh, chapter two says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate, we have a paraclete, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Right, so he is our defense counsel in heaven right now. If anyone sins, you've got a great attorney, right? He's in heaven. The righteous one is in heaven. His presence there is a living reminder that our sins are forgiven, His presence there is a reminder of the righteousness that God has imputed to us as a gift. That there's no longer any condemnation for those who trust in Christ. The fact that Jesus is in heaven with the Father, the righteous one on our behalf, he's with the Father, he stands in our place and he's a living, eternally living reminder of the fact that there's no condemnation for those who sin. Um, So as our paraclete, he pleads his own righteousness, not ours. He didn't say, yeah, they, you know, it wasn't that bad really, right? They might have messed up a little bit, but it wasn't that bad. Or, no, look, look, here, here's some good things that they've done to kind of outweigh those bad things. No, he pleads his own righteousness for us. He says, fully acknowledges, boy, they're messed up. <laughs> they've really sinned. They've really rebelled against you. We could be honest about that, but my righteousness stands for them. <clears throat> so he pleads his own righteousness with the Father on our behalf which is the only basis we have for God's acceptance of us and it is a sure basis it's a sure basis because he's there he's in heaven right now so, <clears throat> so Jesus our heavenly attorney now he sends another paraclete, another counselor another legal aid To do the work of conviction. To do the work of conviction. It may be hard to believe, but that's actually a good thing. It's actually a really good thing that the Holy Spirit's work looks like this. Convincing people. This is what that word conviction means. Convincing people of their guilt. Convincing people of their sinfulness. Bringing us to a point of confession. Bringing us to a point of confession. It's actually pretty difficult to understand what Jesus is talking about here. This language is, uh, I think, hard for us to grasp, and and different commentators explain these verses differently. Uh, D.A. Carson has a good uh, commentary on John's Gospel where he kind of lays out all the different ways that you can look at these verses, and he offers a pretty good um, pathway through understanding these verses, so... But here is a simple rephrasing of the language that this gets at when he talks about he's going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment and why he's doing those things. It says, when the Holy Spirit comes, this is, this is kind of my rephrase of the, the language here. <clears throat> when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll convict people concerning their sin, concerning their righteousness, and concerning their judgment. Because they don't believe in me, Jesus says, because they don't believe in me, the Holy Spirit is going to come and convict people of their sin. Because I go to the Father, the Holy Spirit will convict people of their their righteousness. Um, Because the, the ruler of this world is judged, the Holy Spirit will convict people of their judgment. So basically Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit will impress upon people the Holy Spirit, when he comes, this is his goal, this is his work, to impress upon people the reality of who Jesus is, the reality of who Jesus is, and his work in the gospel in such a way that people will come to a sense of their guilt, and they'll confess their sins, and they'll repent, and they'll turn to Jesus for mercy. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, who is Christ-centered, He's the christ centered spirit he's the spirit of christ it says in one place he sends the holy spirit so that people will have a true encounter with jesus a true encounter with him that shatters their illusions about themselves that turns upside down their ideas about pleasing god he's the spirit of truth no more illusions when the holy spirit comes the holy spirit gets jesus christ in front of us He gets Jesus in front of us in a way that you must come to terms with your rebellion against God. You have to do it. You can't squirm out from underneath it. It's really simple. When Jesus was on the earth and he walked into a room, he had a polarizing effect on people. You read it on every page of the Gospels. You're blind if you don't see that in the Gospels. That when Jesus walks into the room, people have bad reactions to him all the time, every single time. He polarizes people. The encounter with Jesus, if you're having a real encounter with Jesus, you're going to hate him or you're going to love him. You're going to fall down at his feet weeping or you're going to want to kill him. That's the effect that the real Jesus has. Is when people encounter him, that's the effect. Now, now Jesus doesn't walk into the room. He doesn't do that anymore. But the Holy Spirit introduces him all over the whole world to every heart that here's the gospel. The Holy Spirit introduces him where he will still have that same polarizing effect. So when the, Holy, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, he's showing us Jesus. He's showing us the perfect human life, Jesus. And we feel the great contrast between him and ourselves. In our pettiness, our meanness, our sarcasm, our scheming, our general self-centeredness, we are pretty poor excuses for human beings made in God's image. When you see the true human being who is the image of God himself, Jesus Christ, in contrast. So when the Spirit convicts us of our righteousness, now that word is, uh, is probably being used in the same way Isaiah does, showing us that all our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. It's our righteousness, which is kind of faux righteousness. Righteousness. You put quotes around that, that word. The Holy Spirit's convicting us of our righteousness. He's showing us that we have unrighteous motives even for the righteous things we do. Right? Even the good things we do are coming from a corrupt heart. Our, our righteousness amounts to a self-glorification project. Trying to be able to insist that we're good people, that we don't need mercy trying to manage people's estimation of ourselves or trying to imagine at least that that we have a good reputation in people's sight or that God thinks well of us because we're we're doing the right things. So the Spirit shows us what true righteousness looks like in the life of Jesus Christ and how self-righteous people who encountered him were his mortal enemies. It's the good people who have their lives all cleaned up, all put together Self-righteous people, when we encounter Jesus, (laughs) we put him to death. When Jesus walked into a room with self-righteous people, they wanted to kill him, and the Holy Spirit exposes that that same thing is going on inside of our hearts. His work makes self-righteous people able to confess out loud, I think I actually hate God. I hate him. I despise him. And that's a problem. And I need true righteousness. True righteousness. And the only one who has that is in heaven. Now, you know, when, when the Spirit convicts us of judgment, he shows us that Jesus, he is a true judge. He's going to come back again to judge the living and the dead. <clears throat> but he's already condemned the devil as guilty. The devil who, as the ruler of this world, the text says, he's the ruler of this world. The devil is the representative of all those who belong to this world. If you willingly remain under the devil's authority, it's, that's your two options. You can be under Jesus' authority or you can be under the devil's authority. Kind of your natural starting place is under the devil's authority, Jesus says. If you willingly remain there, it's an authority which has already been judged by the Lord of lords, then you stand condemned as well. So God is throwing everything he's got at you. He, he threw his son at you, and we killed him. And now he's, he's thrown his spirit at you to, in, a same, in, in the same way, get Jesus in front of you. He's throwing everything he's got at you to convince you of your need for his mercy, so that you'll confess your sins. So you'll give up your own righteousness as a means of self-salvation. So that you'll put yourself entirely at the mercy of the advocate that we have in heaven, the righteous one, who is with the Father on our behalf right now. You'd give up your own righteousness, that you'd forsake the devil and his authority. God's throwing everything he's got at you, that you would confess your sins to him and throw yourself on his mercy. In order really to peel the layers and expose our deep need for God's mercy, what's really going on inside of our hearts that we just are, in general, not willing to look at, the Spirit sets the mercy of Jesus Christ in front of us. Jesus is hes not just a mean person that's finger-wagging and condemning. That's not the Jesus that the Holy Spirit is setting in front of us, right? He's, he's setting the mercy of Jesus Christ in front of us to begin with. This is the Jesus with whom we have to do. It's, it's only when you know that the God-man is on your side. How can you read the Gospels and not come away with that, that he's on your side, that he's for you, no matter who you are or what you've done, you can admit your deep rebellion against God. If you don't know that God's word to you in Jesus Christ is forgiveness. Forgiveness up front. If you don't know that that's his word to you in Jesus Christ, then you'll never say out loud, I've hated you, I've despised you, God. You've got to know that forgiveness first. And that's how the Holy Spirit holds Jesus Christ in front of you. In all of his mercy. That's why Jesus sent him. That's why Jesus sent the spirit of truth, to take everything about Jesus and make it known to you. And that first and foremost, and above all else, means convincing you that Jesus is out for your good. And it's called the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's good news. Gospel means good news. And that's the kind of thing that induces good cheer. A response to good news is one of relief, one of exhilaration, one of celebration, glad tidings of great joy, as the angel said. Jesus is about good news, and the word about him is, is the gospel. The reason for any of this, the reason for Jesus coming into the world, for his death, for his resurrection, for his ascension into heaven, for his sending his spirit to convict you of your sins, the reason for any of it is to restore you, to bring you peace with God And to glorify you, even as Jesus himself is glorified, in his new humanity, his true, glorified, ascended humanity. The reason for all of it is, bewilderingly, he wants to share it with people like you. He wants to share his glory with, he wants you with him where he is. And he's doing everything necessary to make that happen because he's good. Jesus is good. And he says it's for your good that he sends the spirit of truth to bring bring the the beautiful truth about him and the ugly truth about yourself. To bring those things together to your attention so that you will give up your ways and you'll pursue the only true way. You'll trust in Christ who is himself the way and the truth and the life that you need that God provides for you. The spirit's work doesn't always feel pleasant nobody who's being convicted of their sins says boy this is just the best time ever the spirit's work doesn't feel pleasant but it's good it's good because he's pointing you to Jesus Christ and the life that's found in him And this work is not just something that, that is done to us actually it is first done to us as Christians it's also something the spirit does through us as we're instruments in the proclamation of Christ instruments of God's love and God's spirit in each other's lives especially in the church for love's sake hopefully for love's sake we point out each other's need for the mercy of God which means we point out each other's rebellion against God as well as pointing to the righteousness and the forgiveness that's available in Jesus Christ The Spirit of Truth uses Christians like you, speaking the truth in love, to restore others, to bring them peace with God, and to glorify them, even as Jesus himself has been glorified. That's a privilege. That's a pretty difficult privilege to participate in sometimes, but it's a privilege. All that the Father has, it belongs to Christ. In his ascension into glory, everything that the Father has belongs to the God-man, Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of Christ whom he sends. The Spirit of Christ takes all of it and he makes it ours as he introduces Jesus to us in a way that convicts us of our sins and causes us to throw ourselves on him for his mercy. It may sound like a strange process, but it's the one you need. And Jesus sends the Spirit for that good work. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, it is not easy for us at all to believe that uh, your Holy Spirit's convicting work in us can be good. Uh, we, we believe more easily that we have to defend ourselves from you, that we have to defend ourselves against each other, that we have to be our own advocates and we have to plead our own righteousness, and uh, in doing so we pretend that we are not guilty. But your spirit, uh, O Lord, is good because he comes and um, probably as gently as possible shows us what true righteousness means, true humanity, and forgiveness, and love, um, because he shows us Jesus. We pray that in encountering Jesus now, today, during worship, and throughout our lives as we encounter him in your word and in prayer... um, we pray that this encounter with Jesus would be used by your Spirit to bring us to a point of confession of our sin, to bring us to a point of repentance, turning away from our own good works as a means of justifying ourselves, that we would find our forgiveness and our acceptance in in uh, Christ alone because of who he is and what he's done for us in the gospel. We pray that you would make that meaningful to us in uh, so many ways throughout our lives as we, um, as we live as people who are torn between the old sinful way of justifying ourselves and the new way of the spirit uh, where we give up our old self and we turn entirely to the new humanity that's found in Jesus Christ. We know at the end of the day that'll be a great process uh, for us. It'll be good news for us when we see Jesus face to face and we've given up uh, all these old ways we no longer sin, and we no longer pretend at righteousness in order to think well about ourselves. Uh, We look forward to that day when there's complete freedom because we see the Lord face to face. Until that day, we pray that the Spirit of the Lord would keep the Lord in front of us in a way that changes our lives. Uh, For the good of this world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.